long does the IRS have to audit my self-directed IRA? Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney founder of IRA Financial. On today's AdBits, we'll be chatting about statute limitations and your self-directed IRA. So statute limitations are important. That is essentially the time the IRS has to audit you. In most cases, the statute limitation is three years. Okay, that means the IRS has three years to audit you. Now, the question is, when does the three years start? In a basic income tax framework, whether it's an individual on a 1040 or a corporation on a 1120 or 1065 in the case of a partnership, generally the three years starts when you file your return, right? You got to put the IRS on notice. If you never file a tax return, the statute of limitation never starts tolling. Right. So if I actually have a friend who's a lawyer, believe it or not, who has not filed a tax return in five years. He claimed he was getting divorced and COVID. Don't ask. Anyways, I had lunch with him a couple months ago. We were chatting. He's like, oh, I'm out of the woods, a three year statute. I'm like, no, 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 you're not out of the woods. You haven't filed your return yet. The statute hasn't even started. So in the case of a self-directed IRA, we know IRAs don't file tax returns. Right. So when does the statute start? Well, the belief is that, and this is confirmed by the IRS, is that each IRA has to file a 5498. And that is actually filed by the IRA custodian, not you. Okay, so you don't have that responsibility, but your IRA custodian does, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab, or IRA Financial. So the concept is your three-year statute will start when you file or when the custodian will file the 5498. Okay, so since the IRA doesn't follow 1040, it's not an individual, it can't actively follow tax return. So it's by the custodian, the byproduct of the custodian filing the IRS form 5498 that starts that three-year statute of limitation. What about a 401k? Well, a regular 401k, an employer 401k like Apple or IRA Financial has to follow 5500. So that's due July 31, and that is the tolling of the three-year statute. What about a solo that has less than 250,000 bucks? Technically, it doesn't have to file the 5,500 EZ. Well, the concept is, hey, since it's not obligated to file, that statute should automatically run on the date when the return should have been filed. Even though it technically wasn't required to be filed, the three-year statute would start running each year. So you wouldn't Basically, the IRS wouldn't have an unlimited amount of time to audit your 401k if it had less than 250k because you never filed the 5500. The thought, or at least in the industry, is that three year will automatically run each year, even if you haven't filed the 5500, um, because you, you weren't obligated to file it in any event. Plus, you can make the argument that the entity, whether it was a sole proprietor or single member LLC, to file the Schedule C or the partnership or corp that filed you know, 1065, 1120, that should have put the IRS on notice that there was a retirement account. Although that's probably not as good of an argument because the IRS could um, certainly you know, counter that, that there was no way of them knowing. Um, although that's necessarily not true because there are um, lines on those forums that indicate uh, contributions to a retirement plan. So um, that is kind of the um, thought pattern around solo Ks that generally, even if you don't have to 
file because you have less than 250K. If you um, filed a tax return for your business that adopted the plan and made contributions, that would put the IRS on notice that the plan is there associated with that business. Could it ever be six years? Well, if you remember the Build Back Better bill, which um, was you know made public back in September 21, thankfully it never became law. There was a provision in there that made all IRA investments six years. The thought is that, hey, IRAs don't have their own audit division in the IRS. IRAs get audited under the Small Business Self-Employed SBSE division. And sometimes um, they just never get around to auditing IRAs. And when they do, it's too late. Remember Peter Thiel, where they definitely wanted to audit him. And unfortunately for Thiel and some of the other folks like Mitt Romney, the um, statute would have ran on the three years. So they would not have been able to audit them um, so they wanted an extended six years. That provision never passed. Now, there's something called the SECURE Act 2.0. Um, it's possible that a six-year statute could be um, you know, inserted there, but um, not likely, but, but possible. And of course, the, a six-year statute you know, could be inserted at a later date, at a later bill. However, there is an opportunity for the IRS to assert a six-year statute limitation if there is something called a substantial understatement of income. That means if your tax return, okay, so if the error or the omission of the income that was left off your return is 25% or more of your gross income, then they have six years. So if your gross income was 100 grand and the potential understatement is, was 30,000, which is more than 25% of 100, they have potential to argue six years. So it's hard, kind of hard to see how it plays for individuals, right? So let's say you did a prohibitive transaction in 2020, okay? Let's say your gross income was 200,000. And let's say your prohibitive transaction was 100 grand, right? You invested in the IRS is now claiming it's prohibitive transaction. Technically, they would have six years because the 100 versus 200 is greater than 25%, it's 50%. Now I've been through IRS audits and I have not seen them argue six year statute. Um, in fact, in one case, the IRS conceded that they had lost certain claims due to a three year. And in those cases, the understatement penalty would have been higher than 25%. So it's not sure that at this point, a lot of the field agents are, are really focused on six year, but they may now because um, the Build Back Better bill highlighted the fact that the IRS wanted six years for IRAs, not for 401ks, but for IRAs. That obviously didn't become law. Could it in the future? Yes. Could that change the thinking of agents who may now be more aggressive trying to argue substantial understatement of income and try to extend the three-year statute to six? Possible. But all in all, generally, the consensus is it's a three-year statute. An IRA case, it's when the uh, custodian falls at 5498, which is um, May, end of May of the year. Um, so if you did a, a transaction in 2021, the 5498 filed um, you know, in 22 for 21. Um, so you know, three-year would, would start at that point. Um, some people would argue that the three-year should start when the transaction occurred. The IRS would counter that and say, hey, we need to be put on notice. So there's no way we would have known you did that transaction then. The only way we would know is when you filed some type of information return 
whether it's a 5498 or some type of tax uh, return. So um, generally, um, in some, it's, it's three years. The IRS could, if they can argue substantial understatement, argue six-year statute. That gives them more time to obviously go and audit you. And the intent for the IRS is to try to extend three to six for IRAs because they just um, don't feel like they have enough time um, and enough, certainly enough manpower to go after IRAs. That may change, right? We all saw with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed the Senate, there is potential $80 billion of funding to the IRS over a 10-year period, uh, anywhere from you know, 40 to 80,000 more agents. I'm not sure about that number, but almost 60% of the 80 billion will go to enforcement. So there'll definitely be more agents out there and they're going to have more manpower to go after everyone, including potentially, you know, IRA. So that's why it is important to work with experts like IRA Financial who can help you navigate these rules and make sure that you're aware of all the potential pitfalls before you make your investment. So one last thing I want to add, when you do, if you do a privative transaction, generally the amount at issue is what was in, invested at that time. So say in 2019, you did an investment of 50K and now it's worth 3 million bucks. If the privative transaction occurred, they will argue it occurred at the time of the investment. So you'd only pay tax and maybe a 10% penalty on that initial investment, not the, the growth amount. So that's actually, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this before or done an audit for a client and it worked out in his favor to actually concede and argue privative transaction because the investment he made was at such a low value. And now it's at so much of a higher value that he paid ordinary income tax at a low value. And now the rest was going to be capital gains um, since it was going to be uh, distributed and, and determined that it was owned in his personal name. So obviously it was a pre-tax that wasn't a Roth, but just keep that in mind in three years or six years, if there's a prohibitive transaction, um, it's for the amount invested, not for the fair value at the current uh, amount. So um, that's often you know, a good thing. Generally, they'll go after tax. Uh, they have the ability to, uh, to issue an excise tax. Um, I've, I've rarely seen them do it um, if you settle with them. If you go to tax court, they, they will impose it. But if, if you settle, it's generally just tax. And if you're under 59 and a half, they'll generally just ask for the 10% penalty as well. But again, it's on the amount invested, which uh, triggered the primitive transaction, not necessarily the current fair market value. So hope you guys uh, found this podcast um, helpful. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a great, great channel. We drop three podcasts, um, three to four videos and a live um, video that I generally do Wednesdays at 12 Eastern standard time. Sometimes it's Tuesday, but generally Wednesdays. That could be Thursdays too. That's why you should subscribe because you will get notification when I go live. And if the topic's of interest, then you could um, check it out. So if you miss it, don't worry. Obviously it's on YouTube. Same with these podcasts. This is a weekly podcast that drops every Tuesday. You can obviously listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast, but if you miss it, it's available. And it's also on our YouTube channel if you want to take a look and watch it instead of listen. So thanks for spending some time with me today. Uh, everything's great and your summer's going well. Take care, be well, and talk to you again next week.